Hey everyone, you're listening to the Connect Church Podcast. We hope this sermon inspires you as well as builds your faith. Enjoy the message. There's something that you, that you need to know. And it was in my heart and it came out a bit even in the interpretation of that tongue. But the new things that happen aren't because something wasn't ready or something was broken before. That's not true. If you go through the scriptures, you'll find that anytime graces and gifts are joined together, there's a new level of authority and breakthrough that takes place. So, so it isn't like uh, one preacher's got a style or he's better or he's more gifted than another. It's the joining together. What a wonderful name you've got. It's the joining together that causes the connections to take place. And it is, it is something that you'll see, uh, and you would have seen if you'd known to look for it, over the different churches, the different spiritual experiences you've had. The more people were connected, the deeper they were connected, the greater the anointing and the presence of God was in the midst. Jacob said, you need to find a connect group because you can't get everything you need an hour and a half on Sunday. You know, this might be an inappropriate thing to say in some circles. I trust you know my heart. You, you can't hardly stay saved. You can't hardly stay born again going to church an hour and a half a week. You've, you've got to have other relationships. Now, they don't all have to be in a formal setting of any kind. They can be around a coffee table. They can be at, at the House of James. They can be at Starbucks. They can be groups of two and three. They can be groups of 30. They can be around a theme, or they can just be friends. But there's something about shared life that increases the depth of your own spirit, the breadth of your own soul. At the same time, it makes you understand that you're accountable, that you're no longer just a listener, but you're a participant in the economy of God. And you have to be a participant in God's economy to ever expect any benefit to come out of it. So almost everything we've done up to this point, and certainly the rest of the morning, will probably follow along the same format because this is what we do on Sunday morning, has been almost an individual sport. It's been something that you could do. You could do at home. You could do in your car. You could you could do you could do in, while your wife's asleep at night. It's just been you receiving, you listening, you you praising the Lord. As important and valuable as those things are, there's something that changes when you have to reach out and touch somebody and say something to them or make some kind of human contact in the name of the Lord, or they reach out and touch you in the name of the Lord. Believe it or not, that's where the growth comes from. I'm going to read something to you in a, in a minute from the Scripture, and it may be that we've read it before, so forgive me if we have. It would be unusual if we hadn't, to be honest, because it's a, uh, it's a mandate for, for uh, how a church is put together out of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, a wonderful book. It's, uh, it's a book about fullness. I made a sideways joke last night that we all want to be like the Ephesian church, but we live like Corinthians. If you, if you, if you want to find out how to behave, and you should, 
go read Corinthians because it, it, it makes you some nice boundaries and some nice parameters. It's got some deeply spiritual things in it, but it's got some don't do this and do these other things. And those are good. But Ephesians sort of approaches life from the standpoint of what God has actually done. And if you ever stop to think about it, the word fullness or filled is in the book of Ephesians a number of times. It talks about the fullness of the economy of the times in chapter 1 and the fullness of the economy of times. I don't know why, but there's a time that God does what God does. I suspect it's not haphazard. I suspect it's not just like when we all get our stuff together and we're ready. I suspect he's got a future point. God's very interested in the future. He's very interested in the present, but he's very interested in your past as well. He's redeemed it all so that he can have his way in the future that expands and goes beyond who we are and where we're at today. It talks about the fullness of God. It talks about the fullness of Christ. It talks about the fullness of the Spirit. It, filled and fullness is in that book a lot. It's, it's, a, it's a book about being complete. And that's really what fullness means. It, means. it means to come to its best conclusion, to come to its logical ending. To, to, it doesn't necessarily draw the picture of something being overflowing, although you wouldn't hurt to imagine that. It draws a picture of everything being there that needs to be there. There's some powerful truths in that book. So we're going to read a portion out of chapter 4, but really the point that I want to make is in... Uh, Probably chapter 1 towards the end, but uh, moving along here. Chapter 4, last night, I think twice, once in reference to uh, Blake and Adrian. Adrian said uh, that uh, Jacob and Jennifer were a great gift that God had given to them and that God had given to the church and then uh, the pastor from, from White Rock stood up and remarked at the end when we were praying, he made the remark, he said uh, he could see that Jacob and Jen were, were the pastors of the church. I would tell you that when we came in and we watched them, I've known Jake almost all of his life, but when we watched him, I've seen Jake and Jen in a lot of different circumstances, a lot of different ministry expressions. Only God can make a pastor. You can get married, but only God can make you into a husband. You have to cooperate with him. You can get married, but only God can make you into a wife. If you cooperate with him, you'll be made into a wife. If you resist him, you'll just be a married woman. Same with the husband. You can be a man that lives in the house. You could be a legal husband, but you're not. You only God can make you a husband. Only God can do these things as you yield to his format, to his plan, to his instructions. And to greater or lesser extent, we almost always do that. We try. We stumble and we get back up and we try again. And in the same regard, only God can make you a pastor. Because holding the microphone and standing up front is not the deal. Uh, being cool is not the deal. Being wise is not the point. It's a divine connection that happens when you do your best to express what's been washed and worked and crushed into your spirit, into those who are listening, trying to hear from their own broken place and hear and glean the life from what God's saying. It's a wonderful thing to behold. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to behold, and not every church has it. 
You don't have it because you've got a big church or a little church. You have it because you've got a guy and a woman that want to share their heart, and you've got somebody that wants to hear it, and they're willing to look beyond the humanity of it all and try to hear what God's saying in it all, and it makes, a, it makes something wonderful happen. There's a joining. There's a connection. There's a depth that goes beyond just the meeting part. It is that connection. It's that, it's that, that's part of the fullness where one and one doesn't just make two any longer. One and one makes three. One of the finest things Ephesians talks about in chapter 5 is about marriage. But did you ever notice that it only says that these things are true about a man and a wife because they're true about Christ and his church? That's why it's true about your marriage. That's why Ephesians chapter 5 is true for your marriage because it is, it is a mirrored reflection of Christ in the church. And it says there that when we are joined together, we become one. So that in the process of becoming one, it's not just me and Gene any longer. There's an us that's there. We finish each other's sentences. We share thoughts. We think about the same thing out of the clear blue. We know what to say. We know what not to say. We know, we know when we're going to have a conversation that if I, if I say this this way, it won't be understood. I really want to say it this way because it's clear. But I'm not going to say it this way because it'll cause trouble. Tongue will bite my lip. And I'm going to wait till there's a better time to say it. There's a negotiated walk that we share as we go through our marriage. And that same thing is true. Pardon me, sweetie? A willing yieldedness, sometimes more willing than others, sometimes more yielded than others, but in principle, that's where we're going. And it's the same thing that we have in church. That's what makes a church a church, is that we're all wanting to find out to stride and walk together and go the same direction. It's not about whether we agree with the direction. That's not really the point. Those things need to be discussed. There's a time for it. But it's when we start walking that we all choose to walk together that we all choose to go on and raise our questions and raise our griefs as life goes on, but we all, we all move. We don't sit and listen. We all, we all move together. I don't, think, I don't think a body of believers could ever be stopped from living out the expressed will of God in a community if that body of believers were joined heart to heart and soul to soul like that. Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of ministry, or to equip them so they can do the work, for building up, for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain into the unity or to the oneness that's inherent in our faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're going to come back to that thought. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So this kind of draws a picture that if you're not stable and you're not really being ministered to by all five of those gifts, and Jake, I'd say, I'd say this, I'd say, 
uh, it does take all five of those gifts to mature and to develop a body. And you're hard-pressed. I don't know what else you could do. You can't change the world. You're hard-pressed to bring all five of them in on just on a Sunday morning and have church and have them share of the grace that's in their life. It's as important, as meaningful as that is. Uh, there's, there's five distinct different offices that are there, and there are five of them because no one of them can know the entire mind of God. It's not possible. It's not possible, and it's not possible on purpose. It's not a matter of praying more and knowing more, having more experience. It's like we don't want you to be such a perfect expression of ministry all by yourself that people don't think you need anyone else or that you don't think you need anyone else. So in a large portion, uh, the reason your church is going to have a season of flourishing and developing is because one gifting and another gifting have joined together. The fact that they overlap and they're pastoral doesn't exclude the prophetic. It doesn't exclude the blossoming and the burgeoning apostolic that's coming. It doesn't, it doesn't preclude the teaching that they'll share out of their own hearts and lives. But it's the fact that, oh, we've got something being joined together here. And the joining, the joining gives it more strength. The joining gives it more authority. The joining brings more anointing to it. You're joiners. You're joiners and you're connectors. And you know, if everybody was ever rightly named, it's you guys. That's a huge deal. That's a huge deal scripturally. You're going to make more out of it than what you ever had before simply because of the way the foundation is being spread and why it would be so very important for all of us to remember that even though we might disagree about styles and methods, we would never want to say anything that caused division or separation because it's in the division and the separation that we become weaker. It's better to bite your lip and stay connected than it is to have an opinion about small things. You know, tell the truth. I'm not saying just eat your feelings. I'm saying express yourself, but express yourself always with a clean and a pure heart. He says, so in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by everyone the doctor, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, instead, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, even Christ. So it says, just a couple of quick things there that I'm sure that you already know, but this is a good day for a touchstone. It says, number one, that it's by speaking the truth in love that we grow up. You can only grow so far by hearing the truth. It's the speaking of it that causes you to grow. So this looks like when someone says to you something that's contrary to the word or contrary to good Bible order, you come back and you say you're, you're not prizing your personal relationship above the truth of God and your relationship with the Lord so that you tell the truth. And you tell the truth in a spirit of love. Sometimes our idea of love is a little bit dodgy. We think that love is always about being nice to people and not telling folks what the real truth is. And while that might be a good form of loving-typed endurance, that's not Bible love. Bible love is very tolerant. It's very loving. It's very respectful. But it's got borders and boundaries, and it says this is, this is what the truth is. 
And I'm not authorized to compromise the truth so you feel less guilty. I'm not authorized to change what the book says so that you feel better about what you're doing. I'll still love you no matter what your choices are. However, this is, this is the truth. Now, the mystical thing in the best way of the word that happens when you do this is that by having taken that stand and aligned yourself with God, you grow up. You have increased trust given to you. You're stronger as an individual, as a body. But in that last clause of the sentence, it said, you grow up into Christ. You're already in Christ. Christ is already in you. Is this not true? Jesus said these things. You're in Christ. Christ is in you. But to grow up into Christ is drawn a picture, particularly in this context, of all of us together growing up into an expression of Christ that this city and the world has never seen before. All of us in Christ means us being found, washed free from our sins and cleansed. Christ being in us means we open our mouths sometimes and we say things that we didn't know that we knew and where God speaks and good things happen. But growing up into Christ is like us becoming an expression of who he is on the earth. If you read the Bible and you thought the purpose of the, of the sacrifice of Christ was so you'd get saved, you'd be partially right. If you read the scripture and you thought that the purpose that Christ came to die for you was to destroy the power of the devil, you'd be partially right. But if you stopped right there and didn't grasp the idea that what he's really wanting to do is extend himself and express himself through every Christian around the globe so that he can relive himself, reconstitute himself, reassemble the body, replicate what he did on the earth through you, you'd miss the point. It's not just about us being born again. It's not just about us having fellowship. As true as these things are, what he really wants to do is take a body of believers and have them assembled and have them fitted and have them connected and have them joined. Not just in the way that seems appropriate and good to them, not just the way that they can handle in their own flesh and their own strength, but to have them joined and have them connected supernaturally, which might mean that you have to do something you've never done before. There will almost certainly come a time that Jenny will have to do other things than lead praise and worship because after you've done this for 30 years, you get pretty good at it so that you can just do it. The thing about the joiners right now in this new season of their life, God's given them the greatest gift. He says, I'm going to let you have new opportunities with new people that you don't really know. And you can start off doing what you already know how to do. But my great gift to you is to put you in a place where you're going to have to do things you don't know how to do. Because you won't be able to trust you to do it and bring it to pass. You're going to have to go back and touch me again in a deep place where you do what you do, what you say what you say, because you believe you've humbled yourself and found my word and my way for the moment. I'm giving you a chance to grow into a whole new arena, and just like you grew into this one, you're going to have to start all over again like you don't know anything. We've never been this way before. If he caught you going this way before, he'd say, oh, you've been this way before. We need to change the way. Because if you just go the way you've been before, you're going to keep doing what you've done before. You've grown accustomed to it. 
Some of us will have to lay down things we've done before and pick up something we've never done. Others of us will be called to just continue on and do what we're doing and do it with a new spirit. Whatever you can't do, whatever you ought not to do, is to sit back and say, I can take this easy. I don't have to put any thought, any heart. There's no reason for me to be afraid. I've done this a thousand times. Yes, there is. Because everything that you do, every time you do it, is different. And that's where you grow up into Christ. When you share your life, when you share your gift, when you share your grace with those that are around you. It's speaking those things. Back up in that verse where it talked about fullness. We don't need to read verse 23 of chapter 1, but I'll I'll reference it. And it says something about in the end of the clause, him that fills all in all, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's hard to grasp that full thought in just a simple English phrase, but it's, it's saying something, something you need to hear. It's saying that his plan is to come along and fill you up, fill you with his word, fill you with his spirit, fill you with his grace, to fill you up and to make you into the best Adrian you can be to make you into the best Jacob you can be, to make me into the best David I could be, to fill me up with everything that he's got for David, everything I'm supposed to do and all the equipment to do it, to give me all those things. But it, it, it has another meaning to it, another angle to it that sometimes gets overlooked. It says he's filling all things up for himself. So he didn't fill me so I could be happy about me. Cameron, he didn't fill you so you could feel good about you. He filled you so he could do something not just in you, but something not just to you, but something through you. And all the things that happen in you and to you affect how you think they're supposed to be operating through you. You just have to always give. We all have to give a lot of thought to what it is he's wanting to do through me and not just put my own identity on it. But it also carries this thought. It's not just him that fills you up. You fill him up. There's some part of him, there's some part of him that remains unfilled and inactive until each and every one of us who are called and destined to be part of his body understand that we don't just need him, he needs us. You think maybe that's going a little bit too far. But the idea circles around in scriptures. Now, can Jesus do anything he wants? Sure. Can, can the Lord accomplish everything that he wants to do with or without me? Absolutely. He's got time on his side. Sooner or later, somebody's going to come along. Sooner or later, someone will come in that will do what I wouldn't do, that will play the part that I wouldn't play. Sooner or later... He'll find a willing purpose that someone can enact out. Somebody will come along, he'll give them the purpose, and that person will fulfill it. But for today, for this conversation, he's saying to us, he needs each and every one of us. He needs each and every one of us to do our part, whether it's in the offering, whether our hands lifted up, whether it's out witnessing. He needs each and every one of us. This is not a spectator sport. We are viable citizens in the kingdom of God. We get to have a vote in what we say, but that's only because we are members of his body. 
He has called us. He has equipped us. He has filled us up with himself. But he expects us to carry him into the uttermost parts of the earth. He expects us to open our mouth and allow ourselves to be used. Jacob said to me, uh, I asked him the other day, just a real simple question. I asked him what, what he would like to see come out of the weekend, and he said a good answer. He said, I'd like to see us all just encouraged and enabled to walk into the future and discover the will of God together. Nobody knows what the will of God for the church is. We might see some colors and some shades at a distance, but nobody knows exactly what's going to happen. That's the way it's supposed to be. You have to discover that on your own. But you know, you don't discover that. You don't, you don't move towards that without understanding that the entire purpose of gathering on Sunday morning is to collect all of your spiritual experiences from the week previous, to connect all of those things and try to give some definition and context for them so you can continue to grow. This is not, this is not the end of, of, of the work of God in your life. It's tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. It's about how you behave and about how you're encouraged to grow and, and whether you can take some risk and try and function spiritually and give a word of prophecy or lay hands on someone to be healed. It's about not what you can just gather into here, as important as that is. It's about where you go and who you touch. Taking the presence of God with you into every small or big arena that you can go and bringing the power and the salvation of Christ to bear the wisdom of God to bear. This is a lifelong work. Gene doesn't like it when I say this, but I don't think it's possible to actually fulfill it. I does not, that does not mean it's not incumbent upon us that we're all responsible to try and live it. We're always being adjusted we're always being tuned. We're always being changed. You don't have to judge yourself by how perfect your spiritual expression is, but you do need to get up day by day and pursue with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, the God's will who bought your life and redeemed you. You have a great future ahead of you. Let the joining work, let the connecting work continue to take place. Invite others in, not just because they need to be healed up and fixed, but invite others in because not only do they need Jesus, Jesus needs them. He needs us all over the world, filling the globe, that the glory of the Lord will be known over all the planet. Father, I pray for this body of believers. Thank you so much for joining us today. We want to encourage you to take what you just heard and let it go deeply into your heart to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only He can do. We also want to encourage you to be a part of what's going on here at Connect. Head over to connectchurch.ca to find out how.